we remain on our year-long journey of living the liturgical year with a liturgical calendar shaping our formation as a congregation. Today's scripture passage is well known. It is perhaps the most well known of all of the parables of Jesus. It's the story of the Good Samaritan. The phrase Good Samaritan is likely familiar. There are several hospitals in the United States with the name Good Samaritan in its title. Disaster relief agencies sometimes have Samaritan in their title. News reports talk about a Good Samaritan who offered aid to a stranger, sometimes putting themselves in harm's way. One of Covenant's mission partners is the Samaritan Center, a counseling center that offers compassionate care to a wide variety of people. People who aren't followers of Jesus appreciate the ethics of this particular parable. That phrase, Good Samaritan, it comes from the Bible. It comes from Luke's gospel and is this morning's lectionary gospel reading. Every summer I spend at least a week in Southern California with dear friends. It is always an important and delightful time of refreshment. Those of you who've been around for a few years have heard me share about this practice, an important week of refreshment, time, and space for prayer and play, study, reflection, and rest. For those of you who have created a rule of life and try to live by one, this annual pilgrimage to the Norris's house and backyard, a holy, sacred space for me, it is one of my annual practices. Here, my vocation as Christ follower and pastor is renewed in the company of treasured friends. It was good to get away. Frankly, I needed to get away. It was my first days of vacation for the year, and I was tired with my doctoral project still hanging over my head in the fullness. I will celebrate that with you one day. And with the fullness of daily life, I was beginning to lose perspective, focusing way too much on what I was doing or not doing rather than resting in what God has done and is doing. Being away for two weeks was a very good gift, beginning with the flight. Now seriously, I love to fly. It has gotten a little more complicated of late, but I, I love to fly. And part of the reason I love to fly is I really like the view out of the window. It accomplishes for me what is also accomplished as I stand at the edge of an ocean, looking out into the beauty and vastness of God's world. I take in a fuller, more expanded view with all, while all that is going on within me and around me is really important, an aerial view helps me to remember that I am a part of a much bigger story in a much bigger world. My days in South Pasadena provide for me some altitude, reminding me that our lives and my life does not depend on ourselves, but rather on God's grace. Today's passage provides for us some altitude. It invites us to think about things that really matter, as our friend Mark Roberts would say. One of the most important questions we can wrestle with is the goal of life. What is the whole point of our lives? 
What is essential? What is the measure of a life well lived? We'll turn now to Luke's Gospel, chapter 10. But before reading this morning's scripture, let me provide a bit of context. Earlier in chapter 10, we learned that the mission of the 70 has concluded. Jesus sent out 70 in pairs to do ministry. They returned filled with joy because of the success of their mission. They can't believe what they experienced. Jesus compliments, and compliments them and assures them that their names are written in heaven, introducing the theme of eternal life, which causes a lawyer to ask a question. Let's now place ourselves under God's word. Luke chapter 10, beginning with verse 25. Just then, a lawyer stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, what is written in the law? What do you read there? He answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have given the right answer. Do this and you shall live. But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers who stripped him, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, while traveling, came near him. And when he saw him, he was moved with pity. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, having poured oil and wine on them. Then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said, Take care of him, and when I come back, I will repay you whatever more you spend. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Oh Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts, may it all be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. Lord, teach us about your heart and priorities. Awaken us to our identity and purpose for the sake of one another and for your world. All of this we pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. A lawyer a religious scholar stands up to test Jesus. He knows, wants to know what he must do in order to inherit eternal life. The lawyer already knows the answer to the question. He is trying to trap Jesus. Plus, the question is flawed because you don't have to do anything to inherit something. Inheritance is always a gift. Jesus doesn't take the bait. Instead, he responds with a question of his own. He turns to the law, asking the lawyer what he sees it saying. 
the lawyer replies with that part of the Shema from Deuteronomy that talks about loving God with your whole being that a Jew would recite every day. We'll see here Deuteronomy 6, 5. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. <clears throat> the lawyer then recites a command from Leviticus that calls for the love of one's neighbor. No love of God is complete without that of one's neighbor. You shall love your neighbor as yourself, Leviticus 19, 18. These two commandments, to love God and to love one's neighbor as oneself, represent the heart of the Jewish law. Jesus commends the answer and tells the lawyer that if you do these two essential things, then you will live, do love, put love into practice, and you will find life. For while it is difficult to define love, we all can recognize it by the way it acts. And as we learn from the example of Jesus, we demonstrate our love for another in tangible ways. Love does. But the expert of the law is not satisfied. So he presses the case and asks Jesus to clarify what is meant by neighbor. Who is my neighbor? Does that term include one fam one's family, more distant relatives? Does it just involve a particular geographical area? Does it include people that you naturally have social interactions with? Where does one draw the line? The conventional understanding was that a neighbor was basically fellow Israelites and on rare occasions, the resident alien in the land. Are some people neighbors and others not? The lawyer wants to set clear limits on who is to be loved. Who is my neighbor? This is a central question in the church. Who are we responsible to care for? This is an active question in the life of our nation. It probes all the talks about immigration laws and how we treat people who come across our southern border. It is a question related to how we treat each other, from anyone from a corporate executive to a homeless person flying a sign on a nearby corner. The question, who is my neighbor, touches every aspect of our lives. By way of answer, Jesus tells a story. A man was traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho about 18 miles. Now, travel in that day was dangerous, period. But traveling this particular stretch of road was known to be particularly dangerous. So a man who might have been foolish enough to travel this dangerous road by himself gets beat up and is left for dead on the side of the road. Three opportunities for aid arrive. The first two, a priest and then a Levite, respond by passing on the other side. Perhaps they were concerned about ritual purity as priests and their assistants were considered to be unclean if they came into contact with a dead body. Or maybe they suspected an ambush, wondering, imagining that the robbers were still nearby. No explanation is given, but their response is to avoid contact with the man on the road. 
I'm reminded of a fender bender I had while living and working in Los Angeles years ago in the middle of my workday. I was sideswiped by a large SUV which literally peeled the whole front bumper off of my car. After we peeled over, I exchanged, we exchanged together uh, insurance information with this well-dressed man. After doing so, I asked him if he might be willing to help me get my bumper, which was lying on the side of the road, into the back seat of my car. Without missing a beat, the man replied, I am not a bumper-carrying kind of guy. <laughs> and it went on his way. Thankfully, the example that Jesus sets before us in this story is of a man willing to get involved in the messes of life. A Samaritan enters the scene. Now the audience would have been appalled at Jesus' choice for the hero of this story. There is irony even in the title of this story. Good Samaritan is an oxymoron. It's like saying good terrorist or good drug dealer. To a Jewish person, there is no such thing as a Samaritan who is good. A Samaritan, a half-breed from a people with whom they despised and had very little contact would be the last person a Hebrew person would expect to demonstrate compassion. The Samaritan is impacted by what he sees. Seeing our neighbor is always the first step. Always the first step in loving them. I'm aware of how often I simply don't see my neighbors or stop to consider how God might already be at work in their lives. Unlike the others, it is the Samaritan who comes near. Moved by compassion, he begins to minister to his newly discovered neighbor in an active way. He underwrites the neighbor's recovery from start to finish. He expends energy, spends money, and delays his own journey for, the, for someone in need. It's instructive to see that the Samaritan did not take the wounded man into his house and care for him for the rest of his life. There were boundaries to his care. He offered a little first aid, a little money, and a little time in a moment of need, and then he continued on his way. In the end, Jesus asked the question, which of these three was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The lawyer can't even bring himself to speak the name of his enemy, Samaritan. That word is too bitter in his mouth. Instead, he answers, the one who showed mercy, to which Jesus replied, go and do likewise. Now notice what Jesus does here. It's really important to notice this. Jesus reframes the question. Jesus tells the lawyer that you are not actually asking the right question. It's not so much, the question is not so much who is my neighbor, but rather are you being a neighbor? Are you neighboring? Are you doing acts of mercy to the one who is right in front of you? 
It's hard to find fault with a lawyer if he's just trying to get it right, isn't it? The definition of neighbor can be confusing and even more so today as we live in an increasingly global, highly connected world. Neighbor is not just about geography anymore. And if our neighbors are the whole world, how do we even dare to make a dent when the needs and the pain in our world is so vast? When the world is so desperate for love and help and concrete expression, where do we even begin? It can seem too overwhelming, which can cause us and become an excuse for inaction. I'm aware that writing is the principal vocation for some of you here within the Covenant family and an advocation for others. For years, the writers in my life have been recommending a book for me to read, Anne Lamott's book, Bird by Bird, which I finally read last month while floating on a pool raft in the backyard of the Norris's house. It's a book an inspirational book for writers young and old. It was a great read that will benefit me as I continue to stare down the, the daunting final project for my doctoral work. A premise of the book is that writing is hard. Lamont makes it clear that writing is tough, but for anyone who wants to write, there is only one choice available, commitment to the process itself. The book's title was inspired by long-ago advice given to her brother by their writer father. Anne Lamont writes, her older brother, who was 10 years old at the time, was trying to get a report on birds written that he'd had three months to write, which was due the next day. <laughs> they were at their family cabin, and he was at the kitchen table, close to tears, surrounded by binder paper and pencils, an unopened book on birds, immobilized by the hugeness of the task ahead. Then her father sat down beside him, put his arm around her brother's shoulder, and said, bird by bird, buddy, just take it bird by bird. Perhaps this story can make a dent in the sense of being overwhelmed that we can experience when we consider the act of being a neighbor. The one choice available is commitment to the process and activity itself, neighbor by neighbor. Hope, as Chesterton said, is the power of being cheerful in circumstances that we know to be desperate. Being a neighbor can be an overwhelming endeavor because there are people with needs everywhere. We can't help everywhere, but by the grace of God, we can help someone somewhere. Similarly, I am helped by words offered by Mother Teresa, spoken as she walked the unbelievably crowded streets of Calcutta, India, at the time with former UN Ambassador and U.S. Representative Tony Hall. Overwhelmed by what he saw, he blurted out, how can we possibly make a difference with all of this poverty around us? To which Mother Teresa replied, do the thing in front of you. Do the thing in front of you. She also said, not all of us can do great things, 
but we can do small things with great love. Friends, we are not called to manic action, but rather to sustained service. One possibility is that you could choose to focus on one area of injustice in the world or care for one neighbor, one human in need who would benefit from your kindness and mercy. The story of the Good Samaritan, it begins with a concern for limits. But in the end, it charges us to follow the example of the Samaritan and to love beyond limits, calling us to enlarge our circle of love and to love even those who are our enemies, even those who have been careless, even those who cost us time, money, energy, and who delay our own plans, even those who are messy and make us feel uncomfortable. Last fall, we brought the idea of perspectives to how we read scripture. Trying to get away from the idea that a particular Bible passage just says one thing, but rather every Bible story has layers. Learning to read the different layers of scripture is so important. It's so important to understanding what God is saying to us and can actually become quite transformative. The story we used for our series last fall, if you remember, was the story of the paralyzed man who was carried by four friends lower down through a roof in order to get the paralyzed man to Jesus to be healed. We were invited to put ourselves in the shoes of the different characters to see how the story might unfold from their perspective and what they have to teach us. We began that series with the invitation of trying to put ourselves in the place of the paralyzed man and to let the story unfold from his perspective. In so doing, many of us realized our tendency to think of ourselves as a friend carrying the stretcher rather than the one lying on it in need of healing ourselves. Friends, in today's story, it is really important to see that all of us are people in the ditch, which will inform how we love and serve others. Are you too proud to say, I need help? Can you leave your pride in the ditch ditch, and let yourselves be loved? And not deny the other, others around you the ability to love you well in your time of need. Can you dare to trust others with the parts of your life that are not tidy and put together? Can we be that kind of community? We are called to go and do likewise, but you can't go and do likewise until you see yourself as the one who has been saved by the Samaritan, the true Samaritan, the great physician. Thankfully, God comes to us and saves us when we are our most weakest and vulnerable. Out of gratitude, we now humbly go and do likewise, possible only because of the spirit of the living God actively present, alive in us as we engage our neighbors. We who have received such extravagant love 
now give love generously to others. Recognizing your own great need for mercy. Friends, how might you creatively care for a neighbor in need in the upcoming weeks? Who might benefit from your mercy and love? Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we offer to you always our worship out of enormous gratitude. We accept your grace, your gifts of grace and mercy. Show us where we need to extend grace and mercy to others. God, thank you for loving us. Thank you for forgiving us. Thank you for rescuing us over and over again. Nourish our faith and send us from this place changed and new, we pray, through Christ our Lord. And all of God's people together we say, amen. amen.